Well, I want to welcome uh, you here today. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. And I have to tell you right up front that the Mumaws, we got a dog this week. And uh, it's kind of a big deal in our house. Yeah, you can applaud. I don't know why you would, but you can applaud if you want to. Um, My wife and I had a dog for the first 10 years that we were married. And I just have to say it was a miserable experience. And so it took us four years to forget what it was like to have a dog, to finally give, give in and get a dog this week and maybe the persuasion of three young kids uh, in our house. And so uh, it's been a good start. We adopted our dog from the Humane Shelter. Uh, He is a great dog. He's like four years old, and and information and updates, you know, will be coming your way. You can expect that. Uh, It was kind of funny. Steve Wall, and he said to me, he said, your kids must not be providing enough sermon material. You had to go out and get a dog. And uh, so, again, uh, you can expect some updates you're coming, uh, coming your way. Uh, we're in the book of Acts, and if you've got your Bibles and, and you want to follow along with us today, you can get started now by turning to uh, Acts chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be there, look at some verses there in just a couple of minutes. We're continuing in this series today called Big Church. Uh, why are we calling it Big Church? Well, it's not because Genesis is a big church. Uh, it's not because we're obsessed with becoming a really big church. We're calling this series Big Church because the church of Jesus Christ is a really big deal. And we do, and we truly believe that the the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of this world today, and we are responsible with a message, uh, a great message uh, for the entire world, the people that we live around, and for you and me too. And and again, we've been looking at the book of Acts together. Uh, Luke is the author of this book of Acts, this New Testament book. He was a physician, but in addition to being a physician, he was also a historian and a very careful and precise historian. And so the book of Acts is a history book. And it really tells the story of how the first church came together in the first century and how it spread. And as we've discussed over these last few weeks, kind of against maybe the way we talk about church today and even in our casual conversations, you know, the first church wasn't a building. You know, the first church wasn't uh, defined as a place or, or a building. You know, there were no bands. You know, there were no Saturday night services or Sunday morning services. There were no questions of subwoofers and, you know, how loud they should be at a service. The first church was a movement. You know, it was a movement. It was a gathering of people who came together, not so around just the teaching, not so much around just the teachings of Jesus, but they came together because of an event. And what was that event that brought them together? It was the resurrection. The event was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, because the first Christians, you know, that we see in this very early church, they were eyewitnesses to this event. I mean, they saw it with their own eyes. You know, they heard Jesus with their own ears. I mean, they witnessed the death and the resurrection of Jesus because it happened on their watch and it happened in their backyard and they saw him come back from the dead. And because they witnessed, you know, the power and the truth and the testimony of this event, they they would go through city and and neighborhoods and they would preach wherever people would listen. And the message of of the first church was, it's what we're calling the big message. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. and We continue talking about it. It's this big message. It's a message of hope. And it's a message of forgiveness. They preach that the message that Jesus is the risen Christ, that he's the son of the living God. You know, that, that he lived and he died and he rose from the dead. And because of that, everything changes. And the more they, they spoke and the more they preached this message, the more people came and the more people responded to this message. And on the very first day of the church, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us that 3,000 people surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. 
And within a couple of weeks, another 2,000 people trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they were added to the church. And very quickly, this church grew to as many as 10,000 people. And some scholars and historians say, you know, very quickly, in a matter of a few weeks, you know, the effect and the influence and the power of this message had impacted something like 10% of the population in Jerusalem. And as you read the book of Acts for yourself, and I challenge you to do that, to sit down and to read it from beginning to end, all 28 chapters, as you read it from yourself from beginning to end, you're going to see how quickly the church came together and how they moved and how they expanded and the message advanced from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And because the church was growing so rapidly, you've got to know and you've got to realize and understand that the Jewish leaders at the time were very affected were very threatened by its influence. And because of this, you know, they arrested two leaders from the church. We talked about this last week, Peter and John, and they brought these two before their court. Now, some wanted to punish Peter and John, you know, to punish them for their message, to punish them as a way of teaching them a lesson or with this hope of finally bringing this movement to an end once and for all. But they didn't do that. Instead, they threatened them. And they released them and they warned them to stop preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. And so they released Peter and John and they sent them on their way. And if you were here last week, Peter and John, they raced back to be with their friends, to be with this central group, these early leaders in the church. And when they were all back together, the scriptures say that they got down on their knees and they turned their eyes towards heaven and they prayed. And they trusted God and they prayed to God. And do you remember what they prayed? We looked at this really powerful verse this past week. I hope it's a verse that you've been reading and thinking about, you know, what does this mean for me in my life? We're going to talk about this today. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, here's what they prayed. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Boldness. I mean, that's what they prayed. Now, I've got to be real honest and say that as an American Christian and as an American church today, you can't help but look at something like this and say, boldness? Like, are you kidding me? I mean, you guys barely escaped death. You still smell like jail. And you're praying for boldness? I mean, wasn't boldness what got you into this mess to begin with? But they didn't care. They're praying for boldness and for more of it. And isn't it strange and a little unfortunate that we live in the freest, safest country in the history of the world. I mean, we live in a place where it would cost us almost nothing to be bold with our faith, yet we often lack boldness. I don't know about you, but, you know, instead of praying for boldness, you know, we'll pray for things like safety. We'll pray for things like protection or or we'll pray for more blessings, even though we already have so many of them to begin with. And I don't mean to poke fun, and I don't mean to say that you can't pray for these things. I mean, I believe we should pray for these things. And I believe that when our heart is right and when we cry out to God, I believe that He is there and that He listens and that He's ready to respond. But I guess I'm just saying that I've been a come, I'm a little more convicted lately by what I pray. Those things that I pray for, you know, and never pray for boldness. I don't know about you, but I think my prayers can be pretty safety conscious at times. Just praying for safety, praying for protection, and never praying for boldness. And then it just got me thinking, you know, what if the first church in Acts, what if these people here in Acts chapter 4, what if they had prayed safety conscious prayers over and over again like mine instead of bold prayers like these? Would the message of Jesus fizzled out? 
I mean, is it possible that the message wouldn't have spread even beyond Jerusalem or even beyond the first century? I mean, what would you do? I mean, what would you have done if you faced these threats like Peter and John in this early church faced? I mean, while you and I might pray for protection or we might pray for the resistance to go away, the apostles prayed for more boldness. God, give us a greater sense of emboldness. Enable us, because we can't do this on our own, but enable us with more boldness. And God was faithful, and He answered that prayer. And as we pick up the story in Acts chapter 5 today, what we find is that the apostles are back at it again. Even though they were told to stop, they're back at it again in the city. They're preaching in the name of Jesus, even though they were told to quit. You know, they're performing miracles. They're healing people in the name of Jesus. And there's this outbreak of love and generosity that's extending and flowing out of the church. And Acts chapter 5, picking it up in verse 13, tells us what effect and what impact this church and these people and their boldness was having on others. Pick it up in verse 13. It says, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Now, people were afraid. All right, let's not, let's not overlook that, this. I mean, you didn't mess with the Jewish leaders. You didn't mess with the Sanhedrin. And while many people were joining this movement, there were plenty that were refusing to embrace this message and to, to embrace this movement. But isn't it interesting that the Bible says that they were still highly regarded by the people? We're, we'll talk about that. We'll come back to that again in just a moment. But the Jewish leaders, their anger only grew worse. I mean, they were losing control. They were seeing many more people who were turning away the teachings of the temple and turning instead to Jesus. And if you get over to Acts 5.18, it says that the Jewish leaders, they rounded up not only in Peter, Peter and John, but all of the apostles, the 12 apostles. And as you continue reading on into verse 19, it says that in the middle of the night, while the apostles were in jail, someone or something came to the jail and opened the door of the jail and the apostles, the 12 apostles, went walking out. And where did they go? Now, you'd think they'd go into hiding. You know, maybe just kind of calm it down, tone it down for just a little while until some of the conflict, you know, blows over. But instead, no, the very next day, they're back in the temple courts talking about the power and the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, talk about boldness. I mean, this is boldness. And it doesn't take long before the Jewish leaders discover that the apostles are not in jail. You know, they soon learn that instead these men are back at it in the temple courts, boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus. And so guards are sent to arrest these men. But by the time they get there, they're afraid to arrest them as there's this large crowd that is gathered around to hear them speak, to hear them proclaim, to hear this message. And the people are responding to the message. And so the temple guards, they're afraid to try and arrest these men because they're afraid that if they do so, that they'll be overtaken, that a riot will break out with this great crowd. And so instead of using force, they use words and persuasion with the apostles and ask the apostles to come with them, which they do. And let's pick it up in verse 27, Acts 5, 27. It says this, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. Again, that's the high court, the high Jewish court to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Now, that's pretty interesting if you think about it, that they won't even say the name of Jesus, but they're just simply referring to it as that name. He said, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. 
God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Now watch this because here it comes. Verse 32. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You know, again, just as I mentioned in the very beginning, you know, this first church, they didn't come together so much around a series of teachings of Jesus, but the church came together around an event. And that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And speaking before the Sanhedrin, Peter and the other apostles say, you know what, you can say what you like, you can threaten us if you choose, but we can't stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and we are witnesses. We saw Him with our own eyes. We heard His words with our very own ears. And no one seems to be able to produce, you know, a dead body at this point. And until they do, and if we must die for this message, then we're willing to do that. We're going to die for this message that Jesus Christ is the risen Christ, that He is the Son of the living God. Can you see the eagerness? I mean, as you read it for yourself, as you try and put them your, your, yourself in their shoes, I mean, can you see the passion? And can you see the boldness of these men and with this message? Verse 33, it says, When they heard this, when the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. You know, Gamaliel is basically saying, remember these two men? You know, Thutis and Judas? Kind of sounds like a PBS kids program, you know? Thutis and Judas. All right, but these men, they, they, they had this teaching. They stirred up some discontent, but when they died, their followers scattered, and their message simply went away, and we never heard from them again. And so Gamaliel had this idea in verse 38. He says, therefore, in this present case, I advise you, I advise the Sanhedrin, let's leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men and you will only find yourselves fighting against God. So what do you think happened? Can I give you a hint? 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the name of Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years later, people will gather all across central Indiana today and all around this state and all around this country and all around this world because of the message and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And the words of Gamaliel, they almost look so prophetic. If, if this movement is from God, you will not be able to stop it. Here's what Gamaliel knew. He knew that the Romans, the Romans ruled the world at this time. They ruled Israel. Israel only existed because Rome allowed it to exist. And Gamaliel knew that the Romans would never tolerate a bold movement like this and that they could bring it to an end. They could squash it in an instant. But can I ask you this? Have you ever been to Rome before? Do you know which city in the world displays more crosses than any other city in the world today? 
It's the city of Rome. And these crosses don't just represent any cross, but these crosses represent one cross and one death, the death of a Jewish carpenter who grew up in a nowhere place called Israel. And the message of Jesus continues throughout the world today. Verse 40, it says, His speech, Gamaliel's speech, persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. There it was again. And they let them go. Now, it's easy to race past a verse like this and see, oh, they let him go again. They were released. But they were released not before they were flogged. And I don't know if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ before. I'm guessing that many of you have. And you might remember that there are some very graphic, some very difficult scenes in the movie. But one of those most graphic scenes is that scene when Jesus was whipped. When Jesus was flogged and, and he was whipped across his chest and back. And he was whipped with the whip that on the very end, the ends of this whip contained sharp objects and metal and things like glass. And, and anyone who endured torture, endured a flogging like this, would have had the flesh ripped from their back and the flesh ripped from their abdomen as that whip would wrap around even onto the abdominal side. And the goal or the intent of any torturer was to beat someone, what was to torture someone to just that point short of death. And I don't think the apostles were all tortured at the same time, but instead, I believe that one by one they were tortured in each. You know, while one was being beaten and all the screams, the other 11 would stand there and watch knowing that my time is to come. I'm going to be next. And they were flogged and they were released, but these guys would never be the same ever again. I mean, think about it. I mean, every time they changed their clothes, every time they bathed, every time they swam, they would see the scars and they would be reminded of the punishment that they endured for the name and the message of Jesus Christ. And maybe the most powerful statement of boldness is found in this next verse, in verse 41. It says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I mean, they didn't resent the punishment, but instead they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Can you even imagine living like that? I mean, can you imagine living with such faith in your life today to have that kind of perspective in any and every circumstance and situation that you ever walk through? I mean, I don't know about you, but these words, I mean, these verses really have been challenging me as I've looked at them this week. And I'm a little embarrassed that I have so little to lose at times in a place like America, but yet so little boldness. I mean, most of us have never suffered for our faith, especially like this, but some of you have. And you have to at least some degree. I mean, maybe you lost a relationship. Maybe you forfeited a relationship because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, some of you have seen some great complications in your family and in your extended families. And people won't talk to you or they poke fun of you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost a business partner because of your faith in Jesus. Maybe you lost, maybe because of your faith in Jesus, it, it cost you friends. It cost you an invitation or a promotion and maybe even some inheritance because of your faith and your love for Jesus Christ. Whatever your faith costs you, can I ask you this? Were you able to walk away rejoicing? It takes a lot of maturity, doesn't it? I mean, it takes right perspective for us to be able to walk away from something so difficult 
I mean, these men were physically scarred for the rest of their life. And the Bible says that they walked away rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer with punishment for the name of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean for you and me? You know, some of you are going through some real pain. You're going through some real trials and you're going through some real hardships right now in your life. Whether you're away at school, you know, with your family, maybe you're living all alone. alone and, and sometimes it just doesn't make sense, does it? Because it's just one thing right after another. And some of you are here today and you just feel like, you know what, it's just me all the time, over and over again. And when one thing sort of takes care of itself, something else comes up. And you don't understand. You don't understand that why, as a Christian, do I have to endure hard times, difficult times like these? But what did Jesus promise? I mean, he wasn't lying when he told us that in this world you will have trouble. That's what he said. He was speaking to those people then. He was speaking to us today that in this world you will have trouble. And for the apostles, they're running up against all sorts of trouble. And it's only started. You and I will face challenges. We will face troubles. And you will face difficulties in your life. But when you do, I just want to challenge you and remind you today that when you are challenged, that when you face these difficulties, that you can be counted worthy for suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that. I mean, it takes some thinking. It takes some prayer and some perspective, you know, and spend some time with that. We're going to talk about suffering for Christ a little bit more as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul next week. But my challenge from here is just kind of asking the question of now, what do we do with this? Because we talked a little bit about boldness last week when we introduced that. And as promised, we said, hey, we're going to talk about this a little more practically this week. I mean, when it comes to boldness and when it comes to what we see in these men and in these women and their response to trouble, I mean, what can you and I do to even begin to try and measure up to their sort of courageous living? Well, you know, there are a few things you can do. First of all, you can do nothing. And some will choose to do that. We could sit here for the next 15 minutes and we could talk about it and we could admire it and then we could all go watch football. We could pray about it. And that's important. But it's been challenging to try and think about how do you wrap up something like this today? I mean, what could I say to you? How could I challenge you? What, what story or example could I give to you? I mean, what could I do to convince you to live more boldly? I need this in my life too, to be more bold. I mean, we desperately need more boldness as Christians. And I need more boldness. And so what to do? Well, I thought of a couple of ideas. Honestly, I thought, you know, one of the things that I could do is I could tell you some stories. I could tell you some stories of people that are living in other countries today, much more dangerous places and and churches that are in hiding. And I could talk to you about what it means to go to church and not sure if you won't lose your life on the way or there or on the way home. I could tell you some of those stories. And while some of those stories might be appropriate and I enjoy being challenged by some of those stories, I've just got to be real honest and say that sometimes I just... I feel like those stories for me and for us, they're so far away that it's really difficult to try and relate to, like, what does that mean this afternoon? Or what does that mean tomorrow? And so here's what I came up with. I want to look at just some boldness baby steps with you. All right, and that's really what they are. Now, you're going to hear just a few of these and you're going to think to yourself, that's nothing compared to what the apostles did for Jesus Christ. And if you think that, you'd be right. Because it's true. But let's be real. Every single one of us, we've all got some work to do in this area of boldness. I mean, think about how many times in your life an opportunity or a conversation presents itself where you could be bold or you could be specific about your faith and it's right in front of you and how often you pass. 
like me, how often do you pass and you think to yourself, you know, maybe next time, or I just don't want to offend anyone, or I don't really know what the right answers or the right response would be to this, or I'll just pretend like I don't even recognize that this opportunity is presenting itself to me right now. And when it comes to this area of boldness and courage and living passionately, and we've got to start somewhere. And so today I think we need some baby steps because when it comes to this area of boldness, I think most of us were still sort of babies. And, and so they're in your notes, and I'm going to go through these kind of quickly, but I want to just give you a few things to think about. And, and if you want to do your real work with these today, you'll be thinking about them even as you go and maybe later on this week. But you know, just kind of three baby steps that I think can all get us moving in the area and the direction of boldness. And the first one is this, bold is. Boldness is saying something when it would be easier to say nothing. And think about how many times that comes up. You know, boldness is saying something when it would be easier to say nothing. I mean, how many times do you run up against opportunities or conversations where you have the opportunity to say something about your faith in Jesus Christ and maybe seize it or maybe pass? I have a friend who for a very long time attended a very large church in Indianapolis and she attended this church for a long time, even before she surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. And as she tells the story, she went away to a conference in Orlando where the speaker, the teacher, the preacher at the time shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's very simplest form that Jesus lived, he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And then he gave an opportunity at the very end of his message for people to receive that message in their life, to surrender to that message and be changed forever. And this woman did. You know, she invited Jesus Christ into her life and she was changed forever. Well, she went back home and she went back to her church that very next week and she was very excited and she had a friendship with the pastor and so she waited until the message was over and she went up to him after the service and keep in mind, again, she's very new in her faith, all right? And so just see the purity in her intent. She went up to this pastor and said, hey, you got to hear this. Last week, I went to this conference in Florida. I heard this message about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, how he wants to be my personal savior and have a relationship with me. And I invited Jesus Christ into my life and things are changed forever. And remember, she's telling this to a pastor. All right. And she said, and this book, man, I mean, just what it teaches, like that message is in here. And I know you teach all sorts of things, but I guess my question is, how come you never share this message in any of our services? And do you know what his response to her was? If I talked like that, if I shared a message like that with others or with my people, I'm afraid that I might offend someone and that there might be many who would leave. And if many start leaving, then I would lose my job. True story. And not all long after that, um, she left because nothing changed. But bold is saying something when it might be easier to say nothing. And it's about getting bold with our message and with our faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, this isn't a message to be ashamed of. It's a message that we should be ready to share with others, whether we're in church or outside of this building. You know, one of my favorite verses on this that reminds me all the time to be ready for every opportunity is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And now get this, here's the, here's the reminder to us. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer, to give a reason for the hope that you have. Do you have an answer? Do you have an answer about your life 
and what Jesus Christ has done for you? Are you prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? Do your friends and your family members recognize that there is something different about you, that you're not perfect, but did you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And when asked, are you ready to tell that story? Because no one else can deny your story. But are you ready to tell the story of what Jesus Christ has done for you? Bold is saying something when it would be easier to say nothing. The next thing is this. Bold is praying with someone instead of saying you'll pray for them. I think we have some great opportunities around us to live boldly every day. And there's nothing wrong with praying for someone. There's nothing wrong for saying, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And then if you do that, they'll pray for them. All right, let's not make that our excuse. Let's actually pray for them if we make that promise. But what about praying with them? What about praying with that person? Um, Just a couple of weeks ago, I'm a part, I help lead a men's connection group on Wednesday mornings. And we we were meeting at the McDonald's out off of 32. Early in the morning, the group came to an end. And there was just one guy and myself, and we stayed behind. And we were talking afterwards. And we didn't realize it, but an accident had just taken place on 32 right outside of this McDonald's. And as we looked out the window, uh, there was a man who had been on a motorcycle that was involved in this accident. His bike was down. He was laying flat on his back in the middle of the road. And there was this young woman who had also been involved in this accident and it didn't look like she was hurt but obviously very emotional and a few people had started to gather on the scene but the cars were all backed up and so we just ran out and we ran out into the road and and i kind of kneeled down by this guy this guy who had been on the motorcycle and and he wasn't cut up but it was obvious that he was hurting all right, and, and had some broken bones, and he was trying to get up, and even thinking about taking his helmet off. And another guy and I were like, "No, you just need to lay still." And he was in shock, and his breathing was real rapid. And I'm just thinking, "Oh, what can I do in this moment?" Now I could hear the sirens off in the distance, but then I think, "Wait a second, like I'm a pastor, like I can pray in this moment, you know, for this man." But I got to be just real honest with you and tell you what was also going on inside my head because it was there. Maybe just like you, it was like, "Well, I don't want to offend him." Like, I would hate to offend someone else who had witnessed this accident take place. Like, why in the world would you have the audacity to pray for this man in this moment? Well, thankfully, those ridiculous thoughts passed me. And so I just said to this guy, I said, hey, I'm going to pray for you right now. And I'm going to pray for your protection. And I did that. And when I got done and the paramedics came on the scene, I stepped away. These other guys really stepped away. And this woman, this woman named Alice... And she was this older woman. She came up around me and she put her arm around me and she said, hey, I just got to let you know that while you were praying for that guy, I looked up. I had gone to the aid of this young gal who had been involved in the accident, was very emotional, and I was praying for her. And I went up to her and I just put my arm around her and she was crying and I just looked her in the eye and I said, sweetie, you need to know right now that Jesus loves you and this isn't your fault and God's going to take care of you and he's going to take care of this man. I don't even know if she was listening, but I just put my arm around her and I just started praying for her and I prayed for her protection and I prayed for that man's protection. But she just said to me, I just thought it was so cool. You were praying too. God was obviously doing something in this moment and it was encouraging. And I tell you that not because I want you to look to me and say, wow, look at our pastor. He was bold in that moment praying for that man. I want you to look at Alice. Because she said, you know what, I was scared to death. I don't know what to do. But I just looked in her eyes and I spoke the truth. And I prayed for her in the name of Jesus Christ. And thankfully that woman is okay and that man is okay too. And he's recovering. You know, when you pray for someone, get this, you have the opportunity to stand between them and the God, the creator of the universe. 
And I want to challenge you to pray for someone, to pray with someone. You know, you're going to have opportunities that come up. And and even as I share this with you now, you're going to see those opportunities. And what if the next time a friend or a coworker or a student is pouring out their heart and their life to you? I mean, what if you just took a moment and said, hey, could I pray for you right now? And what if they were able to see in your humility? And what if they were able to see in your concern or even in your prayers the love of God? I mean, you might be surprised. You might be surprised with what God would do in that moment. And if they or someone else is offended by your actions or your desire to pray for them, you can walk away not proud, not hurt, but grateful and rejoicing that you were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus Christ. Bold is praying with someone instead of saying, I'll pray for you, as important as that is too. The last thing is this. Bold is taking advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. You know, living with awareness, ready to share your faith in any and every situation, seeing every day as God's gift to you that God had planned for your life, this particular moment or this particular person, seeing everyone around you in your sphere of influence right now, someone who is radically loved by God and that you might have the opportunity to make a difference in their life. Uh, I, I met with a family uh, here at Genesis Church a little over a month ago, and they called and said, hey, we want to get together with you. And, you know, very quickly in our conversation, well, what they really wanted to tell me was we're leaving Genesis Church. And as you can imagine, that happens from time to time. And, and some people will leave and they won't tell anyone. And sometimes people leave and they tell everyone. They're leaving, and people leave for all sorts of different reasons. But I want you to hear the reason why this family is leaving. This family came to Genesis many years ago, and for each of them, I mean, they really surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ in this place and heard the message, and they were baptized. And with tears, they talked about how much this church meant to them in their walk and in their faith and in their family today. But here's the reason why they're leaving. They live something like 30 minutes away from Genesis And I'm not telling you that if you leave 30 minutes away from Genesis that you have to leave or you need to go somewhere else. But for them, here was the challenge. You know, they were willing, they are willing to make the drive to Genesis Church, to this campus, to Noblesville for the rest of their lives. But their real challenge, their real burden is they've got friends that won't. They won't make this drive. And now you and I could look at something like that and say, well, if they're not willing to make the drive, they must not really be interested or serious about their faith. We need to get over that sort of thinking. But for this family, they want to live very intentionally and very purposely with their friends and their neighbors. And they believe they've got to have a place. They've got to have a church community gathering service that they can point to that is within a reasonable distance and say, you know what, why why don't you come to a service with me this weekend? Or why don't you come try out this group? And so while they're leaving and leaving somewhat reluctantly because of the sacrifice that they have to make, they're leaving more importantly because of the name and the message of Jesus Christ. You've got opportunities. You've got people around you every single day, the people that you live with, the kids that you're raising, your neighbors and teammates and coworkers. There are opportunities around you every single day to tell others about the name of Jesus. And you can show boldness for your faith in something even as simple as an invitation to join you for a worship service. You can show boldness with your words. You can show boldness with your willingness to sacrifice or to extend generosity to someone who's in need. Bold is taking advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. And that's my prayer for you today. 
And that's my prayer for me and my prayer for this church, that we would take advantage of every opportunity to say something or, or, or to speak something bold in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and as a reminder to do that, um, we've got a little gift for you as you leave today. I mean, when you walk out of these doors this morning, um, we've got these little wristband, wristbands. Um, nothing real unique. You've seen them before. Uh, it's a black wristband, and it's got two words on it. It just says, be bold. And I've been wearing mine for the last over a week now, and it, it just kind of keeps me thinking. You know, as I see it as I'm driving or as I'm interacting with some people, uh, just that reminder, am I ready to give a reason for the hope that I have in Jesus Christ? You know, is God going to present an opportunity in this conversation or in this interaction to be bold for the name of Jesus? All right, again, it's just a simple little reminder. And if you're afraid of wearing it, you can hide it under your sleeve, you know, so that it just slips out. I mean, it's all in black so that people can't read it, but people might ask questions. Would you be ready to respond? Would you be ready to give an answer? I mean, why were these first Christians so bold? Well, it wasn't because of a wristband, all right? But they were bold because they had this, they, they were guided by this belief and this reminder that everyone spends eternity somewhere. And they knew that and they realized that in the message of Jesus, they knew and they believed with all of their heart, the message of Jesus changes all of that. And we know, and hopefully you know, that our hope is in Jesus. And so are, are you guided by that? Are you guided by that truth? And is that passion developing even in your life today? And if you're lacking that passion, if you're lacking that boldness right now, I want to encourage you, encourage you to spend some time reflecting on what the message of Jesus Christ means for you. Like to put it in perspective for your own life that, that Jesus Christ died for you, that God gave His Son for you so that you could have purpose and that you could have eternal life and that everything changes when you surrender your life to Him. And maybe you need that perspective today. Maybe you need that reminder today. And if you're afraid of what someone else might think or how they might react to your boldness, look at this verse again. Acts 5.13 says, No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. Don't miss those words. They were highly regarded by the people of Jerusalem. I mean, even those who refused to embrace their message looked favorably at these early Christians and at this early church. I mean, could we say the same? Are Christians, you know, and is this church or the church in general highly regarded by the people of this community or the people of the United States today? We've got some work to do, don't we? And there's a lot of tension. And we could come up with a lot of reasons for why the church has failed. Or we could come up with a lot of reasons why, well, it's just the devil's work and people are just resisting today because they're turning to all sorts of these other things. But let's not overlook the fact that these men and these women in the early church lived boldly and lived courageously and lived passionately for the name of Jesus. And even with that boldness, they were highly regarded by the people. I wonder, is it possible that we don't so much have a perception issue today as we've just got a boldness issue with a purity of heart? And it's time we take steps outside of our comfort zones and find ourselves into conversations, into situations where we are desperate for God to show up and work on our behalf. Still need convincing? Look at it this way. If you're here today and you're a Christian, aren't you glad that someone at some point in your life said something to you? If you're here today, 
by an invitation, whatever point that's been in your life. Aren't you glad that someone extended that invitation to you? Or are you like, no, I'm still mad about that. Can't believe somebody invited me to this church, you know, and how it's messing with my life all the time. But why did that happen? Because someone was living boldly. Someone was living intentionally. And if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, I, I can understand how you could look at a message like this and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, this is exactly what drives me crazy about Christians and the church today. It's the arrogance. I, it, it drives me crazy, this boldness. It's exactly what I hate about Christians and about the church. And, and you just maybe think to yourself, you know, why can't you keep it to yourself? Well, I've got news for you. Most people do. Most people keep it to themselves because we go around living like secret Christians. You know, we'd rather be secret Christians. You know, I sneak in and out of church on Sunday, but nobody needs to know Monday through Sunday. Here's the thing. We don't have time for secret Christians. I mean, honestly, it doesn't fit with what Jesus has called us to as his followers and as his church. And that's why, you know, with Genesis, I just needed to know that I am very grateful And I am very committed that you, and I believe that you are ready and willing to take whatever steps are necessary to help people find their way back to God. You're ready and you've been demonstrating that boldness. But I believe we can do more. Some of you are already doing this. And for some of you, you'll never lose sight of the power and the promise of a verse like this. It's a familiar one, but it doesn't lose its power. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. I mean, that that is the most important message for you, for me, for your kids, and for your neighbor, for that person that God is going to put in your life even this afternoon. And and for some of you, the message and the power of John 3.16, responding to that message could be the greatest, the boldest step that you take in your life. To say not only I hear that and I read that and I see that and maybe even understand it, but I'm embracing it for my life and that everything changes today. And because everyone spends eternity somewhere, I know and I'll believe that my eternity will be spent with my Father in heaven because of the work on the cross of Jesus Christ and that he is no longer in the grave, but he's alive and he's well today. And he's inviting you to come. He's inviting you to respond. Would you take that step with him? Let's pray. God in heaven, um, we come before you because, well, I, I guess we're all wondering, is there an appropriate level of boldness? And I know that at times as Christians and as a church, we've, well, we've not done well for your name because of the way that we've lived or the way that we've reacted or the words that we speak. And sometimes we're at fault, sometimes not, God. But my fear is, Lord, that we would retreat from boldness and courage, especially in a day like today because we're afraid of offending someone. But God, I'm praying today by the power of Jesus Christ and the work of your Holy Spirit in us that you would ignite us with such a passion and a courage and boldness that as we walk out of these doors in just a moment, Lord, that there would be nothing that would stand or preventing us from sharing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would ignite that passion all throughout this room right now, in every seat, in every life, in every story in every situation, in every circumstance, with every relationship, God, that in all we do, we would see ourselves as light and hope for this world, that we have a message that Jesus is the risen Christ, the Son of the living God, and that it changes everything. 
And I'm grateful and we're grateful that 2,000 years ago, this early church prayed for boldness. And we're praying that message this morning, Lord, that everything changes today, that we have new perspective today as we're reminded of your hope and your truth in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Do you want that in your life today? Will you pray for that boldness? Will you pray for that courage? Would you be reminded of that today and to go out and live in that? And as we continue praying, I want to acknowledge that there may be some of you here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never surrendered your life to him. But why not today? This message of John 3, 16, that God sent his only son out of love to die on the cross for you so that you could find forgiveness and hope. It's a message for you. Your name's written all over it. And I want to give you the opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus today. And so every head bowed and every eye closed, if you feel God working in your heart and you're ready to respond to this message and invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, 